Give us good soil right now. Captivate us. Give the best ear, the full attention, the focus. Lord, I thank you, precious Holy Spirit, for moving in our lives tonight. As you speak through me, Lord, everything that needs to be spoken, it'll go as living seeds of truth sown into good soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit, it's going to take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. I thank you for everything said and everything accomplished, and through this time in the Word, that you will to be done. It will go forward and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we bind the enemy that would try to hinder it. It goes now in Jesus' name. But we thank you. All right. So moving from that communion time right into the word. Everybody say a clash of power. Clash of power. All right. So I'm going to share something else the Lord showed me when I was seeking him. And in this particular sermon, what I want to emphasize is 1 Corinthians 4.20. When it says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Okay. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Yes. So it's not that you're arguing about things, but it is the power of God that's going to break through. I remember there was a time that a guy was telling me this. And he was going on and on about there's this school here in Dallas. I don't remember if it was UTA or whatever. But he said that for years they've been having people come in and debate. And they were, some of them were debating for Christianity. And it was, they were getting up there and they were arguing their point or whatever. And he said all these years that they've been doing that. And he was so surprised that nobody had gotten saved. And I remember just sitting there looking at him like, well, I wouldn't think that they would. And he was so shocked that I would say that. And I said, you can't argue people into believing this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to convict them, you know. They're trying to deal with it in just purely an intellectual realm. The new birth is a spiritual thing. You understand? And so even if they came to mentally agree with what you were saying does not mean that they're born again. And I think about the Apostle Paul when he would say to the Corinthians, he said, I don't come to you with eloquent words, but I come in the power, the demonstration of the Spirit's power that your faith will rest in God and not man. Why did he say that and when did he say it? If you study this out, what happened to Paul was he tried that in Athens. He tried to, to argue with these people that were a bunch of philosophers and he said, he started out really eloquent. He said, here is an altar to the unknown God. And he began this really good speech. And it says in the Bible that at the end of it, they just laughed him to scorn. And he left there disheartened. But I know because right after that, he wrote to the Corinthians and he said this. I'm not going to try to come to you with eloquent words and, and all that. He said, I'm going to come to you in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. That your faith will rest in God. He learned something there. He learned that you can't win people over with philosophy and arguing with them. Come on. This is a supernatural thing. And I remember that Dr. Cho always told this funny story. He said that he had gotten saved and he was witnessing and witnessing and people wouldn't listen to him. And he said that his mother-in-law was going out witnessing and people would cry. And he got irritated with her, and he said, what's the problem? Why are you witnessing? And people cry, people wit I'm witnessing, people want to beat me up. And she said, because I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come on. And he said, well, I've got to have that. And he tells this story, and if you've ever heard Dr. Cho, he's kind of funny. And he said, I went out into the woods, and he said, I found a tree. I hugged the tree. I said, Lord, I'm not leaving this tree until I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he stayed there hugging the tree for a long time. But he was eventually baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he said he came back and, and he went out witnessing again 
in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he said he witnessed to some people, and they began to cry. And he said, yes, there it is, I've got it. And what did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? He said, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness. So it's the power of God that's going to make our witness effective. And I have a story one time. The guy's name was Vern, and I always remember that because it was just a different name. But back in the days of the 90s revivals, God was really moving. And I had gone down to places like Brownsville and many other places, and God was touching me. But I remember I was at home one time, and, and, there was, and God sent this guy, and he had to fix my AC unit. And I had spent the morning in prayer, and God had really touched me. And so this guy named Vern comes in, and he's fixing the AC unit. And he gets to talking to me, so I start to witness to him about Jesus, and he kind of cuts me off. He says, well, look. He said, I work with this guy, brings his Bible to work, and he's always talking to me about Jesus. He said, there's nothing you're going to say I haven't already heard. I'm just not interested. I said, all right, well, Vern, that's up to you. But here's what happened. I'm just standing there. Next thing I know, Vern starts shaking. His face started turning red. Tears started getting in his eyes. And he's sitting there trembling. And he said, what's happening to me? I said, Vern, the Holy Spirit's on you, and God's trying to save you. Come on. Somebody's been talking to you. You're hard-headed. You're not listening. I said, God's trying. And he sat there, and he's trembling under the power of God. And he said, well, what do I do? And I said, you pray and ask Jesus to forgive you. And I led him in a prayer. Come on. The point of the story is, is that I did a worse job than his co-worker. It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit that opened him up into salvation. The guy cut me off mid-sentence. Didn't hear anything I had to say. Didn't want to hear anything I had to say. The co-worker probably did a better job of witnessing than me. The point is, it's not by our might or our human effort. It's going to be by the Spirit that these things happen. So it's time to awake from slumber. Now, in the Bible, anytime you read this about sleeping, it's always synonymous with prayerlessness, people that are not praying, okay? But whenever you read about a watchman, it's talking about prayer warriors because in the in those times, a watchman would stay up at night and would keep an eye out and would sound the warning if there was impending danger coming. And so a watchman speaks of those that stay awake, stay alert. They're prayer warriors, you see. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we're reading over a couple of these things. But Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth in deep darkness, like a thick darkness, the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising or your dawn. So people are going to be drawn to the glory. There's something that's going to draw people. And then it goes on to say in Isaiah 52, verse 1, now, keep in mind, sleeping versus being awake, right? He says, awake, awake. What could you say there? Pray, pray. Wake up. And he says, clothe yourself with strength. Yes. Zion, clothe yourself with beautiful garments. Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised, the unclean will no longer come into you. But he's saying there, it's our responsibility to wake up and get in prayer because in prayer there's going to be a clothing of power that comes and i would say even a clothing of the glory that comes yes. see the beautiful garments which i know you guys are familiar with this but the priestly garments the white layers righteousness but then there's a blue ephod over that that's the power of god the baptism in the holy ghost when the holy spirit comes upon you you'll be my witness and then that golden ephod on top of that is the glory of the Lord. People are not going to be impressed with your arguments. You're not going to always know the right thing to say to the right people. You're not going to be able to win people with uh, the wisdom of men. This is something only God can do. And it's by the Spirit that this is accomplished. 
Now, I say this with the utmost respect, and I'm not saying something that, that Brother Steve himself didn't say. In fact, he used to say this. He said, my sermons are at times more on level. You remember him saying that? He said, because my sermons are not meant to be intelligent and all this, uh, you know, for the brilliant minds. He said, I need the little children to understand what I'm saying. I mean, Brother Steve would preach on something. One time he preached on the word, come to the Lord, C-O-M-E. That was his sermon. I mean, that was like, <laughs> it wasn't a deep theological message, brother. But yet that night, all these people came to, they, they came to the Lord. Why did they come? Because the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Steve's message, okay? And he would always say that, and that always impressed me because he's an evangelist. It wasn't his job to get real deep and theological. It was his job to see people get saved. Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee with him and began uh, to be grieved and distressed. This is where Jesus was sweating blood, remembering he was really praying. And then he said to them, my soul's deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Everybody say, keep watch, watch. with me. What does that mean? Stay awake. Pray. Okay, and he, he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face praying, and he said, uh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cross. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them what? Sleeping instead of praying. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many knows that your spirit is willing within you to serve God, but your flesh, that's the problem, isn't it? And he went again a second time and prayed, saying, Father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them again sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. Jesus kept saying, Could you not tarry one hour? And so Dr. Cho pointed out that he probably prayed about three hours. But every time he came back, they were sleeping. And the point of this is that Jesus was ready for what was coming, but they weren't. Whenever this happened, they all, what does the Bible say, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. They all scattered. They were afraid. Peter ended up denying the Lord. They were not ready. And Jesus kept telling them, you better pray because it's, you're coming into some serious darkness here, some serious warfare and you need to be ready. Your inner spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak. You need to see prayer will clothe us in strength. Yes. Prayer will help us die to our flesh and the Holy Spirit in us rise up and give us the strength we need whenever we're going through the hour of trial. And I'm going to tell you something that Brother Ralph and I have talked a lot about, but you know, during times of revival, you see people a certain way, but when revival wanes, sometimes things change, don't they? I remember one time there was a revival going on, and I don't remember where this was or when it was. seems like it was in Georgia maybe, but I remember it was like a tent set up, and all these people were getting saved, and it was awesome. But I remember hearing some of the young people, and one of the young people said something. I was like, oh, man. He said, well, it's kind of the cool thing right now. Everybody's giving their lives to Christ, and it's exciting and all this. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, we'll see about it when it's not the cool thing anymore and you're persecuted for your faith. While it's the cool thing, everybody's going to be living it, right? What happens whenever all of a sudden it's not cool anymore and you're being made fun of, you're mocked, you're ridiculed, you're hated, and people give threats and everything else, are you still going to be an on-fire Christian? And I remember seeing, you know, during the times of revival, all these people on fire for God, I mean, driving distances, lining up. And, and right now I can tell you in love, I mean, I really 
love these people. I don't mean this in a negative way, really, toward them. But I have some friends that aren't far from here. I can't get them to even come to a conference. And they used to go down to Brownsville. They used to be so on fire for God. And I'm thinking, what happened? I mean, they would think about this. They would drive from here to there, stay in hotels, spend money, wait in line outside in the Florida heat. God help us all. Remember that? I mean, or rain. Remember that? And, and they would do all that, and then now they can't drive 15 minutes to something free. You can lose this revival if you're not careful. So what I'm trying to say tonight is this. You need to awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. You better dig down in your own relationship with the Lord because it's easy to serve the Lord in this atmosphere of what God's doing because the power of God is so, so present and there's anointed ministries and people lay hands on you and it's, it's awesome and God's touching you and that's glorious. But what happens whenever you're in a dry time and that's gone and it's just you and God and, and you're facing... Uh, horrible spiritual warfare are you going to have what it takes because you're not going to be able to ride other people's coattail you're not going to be able to depend on anybody else there's times that God will put you in a situation where you're not going to really have other people I remember I'd felt I'd felt alone I saw a, a season where warfare was here in Dallas and I saw people leaving the area I saw people getting sick I saw some people uh, physically dying that were revivalists, people's families getting destroyed, churches shutting down. And I got to where I felt really alone. My wife and I tried to connect with some people uh, that were revived. We thought were revival people, but their convictions ain't my convictions. And then I went to see somebody I thought, you know, it was, it was used in revival. And it was just like I was a waste of his time. And I thought, dear God, I'm alone. But I had a relationship with him for myself. And so I just dug down into him, and God was with me through it. But see, I could have let that get me messed up if I wasn't careful. I could have got depressed or whatever. So we've got to really have this strong relationship for ourselves. And I, I can't help but think back about the disciples. What if they were really digging down in prayer for those three hours, you know, and they really spent time... Maybe they, they went over where Jesus was and said, forget about being over here. I'm going to go where he is. And got next to him was really in the spirit. I wonder if this story wouldn't be different. They might have been ready for what was coming. And we got to be careful also not to miss the move of God. In Song of Solomon 5.2, she said this, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. That's interesting. She was asleep, but her heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Remember last night? Knocking at the door. And he was saying, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the dew, drops of the night. And she says, this pathetic excuse, I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? How many times are people coming up with every excuse in the book to not pray? We can all do this. I mean, there are times that I get up and I don't feel like praying. Doesn't make any difference. I died to that a long time ago. You do it because you do it. And then you'll start feeling like it when you get in prayer, amen? She's making all these excuses. And then Jesus, my beloved, extended his hand through the opening. And my feelings were stirred within me, and I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers drops of myrrh on the handles of the bolt. And I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. She missed her moments. The Lord was knocking. She made excuses. She missed the move of God that day, right? And so she said, my heart went out to him as he spoke, and I searched for him. She ran outside, so all of a sudden now, her dress is on, her feet are dirty, right? Now all the excuses she had, she's running out trying to find him. And she said, I called to him, but he did not answer me. The watchmen who made the rounds of the city found me. They struck me, they wounded me. The guards of the wall took, took my shawl from me. So people being rough with her. Swear to me that you daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. Well, sometimes the Lord will knock. We better respond. 
and not make all these excuses. There was something personally that whenever my wife and I were married and I began to teach her about this, but we were like, we just, I explained it like this. We just simply pray every day. It's what we do. <laughs> so we figure everything else out after that. You, you arrange your schedule around that. And so I was like, you know, I get up, I spend my time with the Lord. She spends her time with the Lord. Of course, in the evening, we pray together before we go to bed. But we just have our quiet times. That's just what we do. And so when Brianna got a little bit older, it was like, Brie, this is just what you do. I'll teach you how to do it, but then you're, we're going to do it. And so she, she reminds me of this. I kind of forgot, but she reminds me that, that I, used, I prayed with her. You know, it's like, here's what we do. And so I just kind of took her in my prayer time and walked through all of it with her. And, then, and now, now look at her. She, was just, she just grew up like, you just pray. That's what you do. You don't make excuses. You adjust your schedule around it, okay? And once people make their prayer life their priority, they're going to start walking in the power of God. You know, Derek Prince said that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is your introduction to the supernatural aspect of Christianity. True. But once we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and all that, for us to keep the fresh oil in our lives and keep the fire burning and stay clothed with that fresh power from above, we've got to press into him. He's our source. And I think about the day and hour that we're living in because Jesus, you know, you can't tell me that thick darkness wasn't descending on Jerusalem that day. I mean, I imagine that Lucifer himself and his highest ranking fallen angels were walking into Jerusalem that day. They were there on an assignment that they were going to kill Jesus. Little did they know that would be sealing his own defeat, right? But they were there with that assignment. I mean, hell had descended, right? And I believe that's why the disciples felt so heavy. They probably sensed a strong heaviness on them, and they, they just didn't have the wherewithal to press through that. How many are prayer warriors that you have felt sometimes like something was resisting you in prayer? I have. You know what I'm talking about? And what do you do? You press through anyway till you get on the other side of it. But see, they, they just kind of went with that. You have to press through. And I'm going to tell you, there's days that it's going to be difficult to pray. But you press through anyway. And the way that the Lord has taught me to pray is, number one, you have to put a strong emphasis on the blood of Jesus. Washed and covered in the blood. Reverence the blood. You can take communion. But once you come through the blood, the blood gives you access. And you come in Jesus' name and through his blood, you enter his gates with thanksgiving courts of praise. You begin to worship. How many knows worship brings the presence of God? And you begin to pray in the spirit. You begin to get in the spirit. And then you begin to pray different things in the spirit. I mean, you, in English or in tongues, but you begin to pray about your various needs that, that you have. But you get into that place through the blood of Jesus, through worship, you may be praying in the spirit, you get into that place where you're tuning into him. And I had to learn through the years to really tune into the voice of God. I remember years ago that I, I didn't always hear everything perfectly clearly, and at times I'd miss things or, or think God was saying something. You have to learn. But how many are old enough to remember the old radios that you had to kind of fine-tune into the station? If you're my age or older, you know what I'm talking about. These guys, all they know is Spotify, right? So back in my day, you had to get there. And, and if you turned the knob and you got there and it was still staticky, and you had to get really slow with it, you know, and, and it was all clear. There it is, you know. And so you had to tune in just right. And I had to learn oh, through the years, trial and error, I had to learn to tune out the voices of the enemy. I had to learn to tune out the voices of people. Is how many knows everybody knows what's best for you, right? And I had to tune out my own voice. Now, that was the hardest one. Tune out my own voice and just tune into him and hear that. And once I learned to do that, learned to tune into him, even when I, I, I remember one time all this stuff's just raging around my life. My emotions were a wreck. And I'm sitting there, I remember this. 
and the Lord spoke to me, I will do this. And it was just, and when, I, when God speaks to me, he may give you paragraphs upon paragraphs, but for me, a lot of times God gives me like a word, and when I mean a word, I mean a word, or, or, or a sentence, and it's not long, and a lot of times he's told me things, uh, I don't know if he laughs after he tells me or not, but he, he's told me stuff, and I'm, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And I really don't. I'm not just saying that. I'm like, okay, so I write it down. I begin to pray. Okay, now, now I got this word right. Now I pray for what it means, Lord, you know. <laughs> Other times it was really clear. But, but God will tell you something. You have to learn to hear him. And I think in the days to come, that's going to become increasingly important. Yes, it is. Come on. That we make sure that we're hearing about what we're doing. Well, John Davis had drilled a lot of things into me in our time together, and he, he just has a lot of wisdom. And I remember one of the things he kept just drilling into me because it was constant. Did he drill this into you? All right, I'm tired of all. What's God saying? What's God saying? Yeah, he did. And so every time it's like all these different things going on, all this, all this conversation, everything else, and everybody's got their opinions. He's like, that's it. What's God actually saying? And he doesn't care about anything else. There's all wisdom in that. As you can hear, you can listen to all these voices, and it can even be the enemy sometimes messing with your head. But you need to learn to, to figure out, okay, but what's God saying in this, you see? And I remember my wife and I have talked about that because, and she'll know what I'm talking about. There's times that there's things going on, and we're praying. And it's, some of this is serious stuff. I mean, really serious and we don't really know how to pray. We don't really know specifically what God is wanting us to pray in that situation. I mean, we know the big picture, but we don't know how do we get from this point to the answer prayer here. How do we pray about this? And then God will give us a word. And then we know, okay, this is how God wants it to play out. So we would start praying into that. And then it would play out just like what he showed us. And so I think about this thick darkness that Isaiah saw. Gross darkness, a thick darkness is coming on the earth, on the peoples of the earth. But the glory is going to rise and shine upon us. We're living in a time when there's some thick darkness that's coming over this nation. Now let's just talk about one. And who would have thought, Brother Ralph, going back to when we were younger, that there would be this much Satan worship? Who would have thought that it would be as public as it is? And I mean the Grammys and all that, but that think about it. I, when, I've been following this group for a while, the Satanic Temple. They're relatively new, but this group has become very politically active. You need to learn about this group, so look up what I'm saying. They're the ones that are going to the different state capitals with their little go to Mindy's, Baphomet going there and they're trying to offer invocations and they're using our laws against us. So they're saying, well, if the Christians can pray, we can pray. They're getting booed out of some places. Amen. But still, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to use our laws against us. And when Roe v. Wade got overturned, they got enraged. So listen to what they're doing. This happened in New Mexico, but they're trying this. They're trying to use our laws. Our laws are freedom of religion. So here's what they're doing. They're trying to make abortion a satanic ritual, meaning that it's a spiritual practice of worship, which it would be to them. I mean, they're devil worshipers. You're, you're, it's human sacrifice, so it makes sense. But they're trying to ritualize it so that then they can use the law and say, if Christians can do this type of worship and this is in their liturgy, then this is our worship. And we should, you see what I'm saying? They're trying to manipulate our laws. And so they're trying to make it to where people can still get abortions and even go to them. And they're willing to even help finance some of this. This is how much Satan loves abortion. And he's got his old devil worshipers willing to do whatever it takes to keep it going. How many remember whenever um, Gorsuch or one of those guys was getting uh, put on the Supreme Court? You remember those, those shrieks and wails that were coming out of those people? That was demons manifesting. So 
And there's many other things that these, these Satanists are trying to do, but they've got chapters now all over our nation. And how many of you guys, be honest, didn't even really know about this? Wave at me, most of you. You need to know about this because we need to be praying about it. If we're not praying about it, that's the problem. And God spoke to me uh, a while back, my wife and I, and God really spoke to me. We had a message in tongues, interpretation. I wrote it all down. And he said, the reason why you are facing some of the difficulties you've been facing is because the people that should be praying are not really praying in this region like they should be. Come on. That's true for this whole nation. People aren't praying like they should be, so the gross darkness is beginning to descend over or come into, rather, over this nation. This group has been doing a lot of other things that I could mention. For example, they're the ones that have been doing the after-school Satan Club. Have you all heard about this? Okay. Well, they're trying to have, they say, well, different things, different activities, even different Bible clubs can be in school. So we should be able to bring in our little devil worship club into school. And most parents have been, you know, getting really upset about it and running them off. But nonetheless, they're still trying to infiltrate our schools. So this is something that we need to be aware of because Satan worship, uh, without belaboring it, the Bible says eventually in the book of Revelation that the world eventually will worship the dragon. So once the, the rapture and a lot of the martyrdom and all that, it's going to dwindle down to the peoples of the earth are going to be a bunch of devil worshipers, and it says that in the Bible, eventually. So the rise of Satan worship is, is very biblical, and very uh, we need to be aware of it, and we need to be praying about this. Because this is not wrestling against flesh and blood. You can go to the city council and you can argue and do all of that. And that has its place and go to school board meetings. But this is a spiritual battle. And we have to, to bind these forces of the enemy. All right. And then also, who would have thought the level of sexual perversions? The rise of homosexuality, the, the, the transgender. Who would have thought back when we were kids that this would even be something that would possibly be going on, but yet it is. And not only is it going on off in some dark corner somewhere that nobody knows, but no, it's very public. It's in the schools. And now a lot of the people that have went through these transitions are now getting old enough to get, I mean, enraged that what did you do to me as a kid? Now that I can't have children, I'm deformed. And they're enraged at what happened to them as a child. Like they were some kind of an experiment or something. It's ruining people's lives. And then all, not only the rise of sexual perversions in that way, but did you know, and you can look this up because it was in the news, that there was a bill trying to be passed in the United Nations. Y'all ready? For there to be legalized sex with children. I wouldn't. I would have never thought, but it was a bill that went up before the UN. I don't know if it was passed or not, but they're trying to even go to the extreme of that level of perversions. Gross darkness is coming on the nations. What about the bloodshed and the violence and, and all, obviously the abortions that have happened? But it's, it's a thick darkness. And the only way that we're truly going to overcome this is to really rise up in powerful prayer. And some of you will know what I'm talking about. But just joining hands and just saying a little prayer is one thing. And I'm not saying it's not powerful. But you know as well as I do that there's a depth of getting in the spirit and really travailing and praying things through. Now, that's scriptural because in Matthew 18, Jesus talked about this. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. Now, follow me. Gathered together means in the Greek, they're led by the Spirit. They're drawn together. So in other words, like Lila was saying, you were sharing, we don't need a bunch of spectators. We don't need a bunch of people on their Facebook. We need a group of people that are serious about prayer coming together. They need to be led by the Spirit, get the right people together. And then it says this, whatever they agree on earth will be done. But the word agree is symphono, and it means to harmonize. So what that means, it's like the Holy Spirit. If you can catch this revelation, it really touched me. That the Holy Spirit is orchestrating. You ever watch an orchestra? The Holy Spirit's the guy orchestrating. And the different sounds by the Spirit praying through everybody 
One person may be groaning, another praying in the spirit, but it's this sounds like a harmony coming together in the spirit, spirit-led prayer in unity. The Lord says when you are drawn together and you agree like a harmony, he said, whatever you ask, it'll be done. That's the type of prayer. That's why I was putting an emphasis back on these intercessors because they didn't even need music with these intercessors, which, of course, that adds a lot to it. I think worship's very powerful with prayer, but they didn't even depend on that. They would just gather to the church, and they would begin to pray, and it was spirit-led. They were drawn there by the Holy Spirit, and there, was a, there were sounds that were going up before the Lord, and he says, as you are drawn together, that harmony that goes up, Whatever you're asking will be done. Why? Because you're in the spirit. You're in one mind with the Lord, and you're praying the perfect will of God. You're in agreement with heaven. Whenever you're in the spirit like that, you're asking, you're not asking amiss. You're praying the will of God. We don't always know how to pray, but the spirit will enable us to know how to pray. And there, there's, there's a group of people that we desperately need. God needs to restore this back, that they know how to fast they know how to spend time and they know how to get under a burden and keep praying until they they pray it all the way through that that burden lifts and they can laugh on the other side of it because they know they prayed it all the way through let me let me give a quick story to illustrate that there was uh, two i could give but one was reinhardt bonke he said he almost died he said that he had drank some water in Africa and he had gotten deathly sick and it was serious. Like he felt like he was going to die. He found out later that there was, a, I believe it was a woman, but he told this story that somebody all the way in America all of a sudden was awakened to this terrible burden to pray for Reinhardt. Had no idea what was going on and just began to pray. I mean, deep praying in the spirit and praying and just kept praying. I mean, for a long time until finally they prayed it all the way through and they felt the victory and Reinhardt was touched and God healed him and he was fine. What would have happened if Reinhardt died before all those millions of people got saved? Yeah, come on. There was another story that um, I believe is here, Perry Stone or Kenneth Hagin, one of them told about that I think Kenneth Hagin told about his brother almost died in a car wreck or something. And he was awakened in the middle of the night and had a terrible burden for his brother. And he said he sat there and prayed in the spirit. He was under such a burden. He kept praying and praying for hours until finally he felt the victory. It was done. He found out later that his brother almost died in a car wreck. God spared him. If he hadn't have prayed, his brother might have very well died. You see? And so we need a group of people that know how to be drawn together in the spirit and get under a burden of prayer and pray it through it. I believe with all my heart. I remember I really respected Steve Hill for a lot of reasons, but not the least which was this. He would shut things down. Brownsville, you had all these thousands of people there. And I remember one time that the Holy Spirit was moving there and these little children were groaning in the spirit. And Brother Steve just kind of just stopped the whole service just to let intercession go on. These little kids are praying. And I remember him saying, this is the deepest form of prayer. These kids are birthing souls for the kingdom. Amen. He wasn't going to shut it down. How many places would have been like, oh, let's stop all this emotionalism here. Let's just shut it down. These little kids don't know what they're doing. We need, we need to stop this now. And, uh, but Brother Steve had the wisdom to know to make room for the, for the deep intercession to take place. How many knows this is not a time to be getting out of prayer this is the time for us to go deeper in prayer a praying christian is a powerful christian some of you young people if you want to know how to really walk with god you need to have a prayer life if you want to be in the ministry you better learn how to pray a praying church is a powerful church a praying christian is a powerful christian and i believe that one of the aspects of covid unfortunately was that many of the elderly that were dying, many of them were great prayer warriors and mighty men and women of God that passed away. Satan's trying to take out a generation that knew how to pray and knew how to pay a price. And Brother Ralph was talking about that. I see right now a younger generation, I'm not sure that they really know how to spend depth in prayer, to really to fast and really go deep in it and pay a serious price I think that they're used to things being pretty easy. 
God hasn't changed. There's still a serious price for revival. This isn't the time for us to forsake our godly convictions. Amen? I'm seeing people get out of those godly convictions and they've turned into something they never were decades ago and it's scary. If God has given you godly convictions about things that you're not to watch, not to listen to, people you're not to be around, places you're not to go, conversations you're not supposed to have, you better hang on to those godly convictions because if you get away from those godly convictions, trust me, I hope people heard that one and didn't miss this one. If you get away from those godly convictions, you'll be surprised eventually what you'll turn into one day. Let me say that again. If God has put on your heart to not look at certain things, not listen to certain things, not to be around certain places, people, conversations, whatever it is, you better stay true to that. There is a reason God gave you those convictions. He's trying to keep you. And the last couple things I want to say is this. Intimacy is what brings the extra oil. In Matthew 25, verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So this is a picture and type of us today. Are we going to be wise or foolish? All these were virgins, but it had to do with that extra oil. Extra oil comes from intimacy and being in prayer. In churches, the extra oil comes from our, our prayer ministries that bring in the fresh oil. Amen? And so the wise had that extra oil, and the bridegroom was a long time in coming. How many feel that the bridegroom has been a long time in coming? But it says this, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. What is falling asleep again? Prayerlessness. And it says, at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They said, no, there may not be enough for the both of us. Instead, you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to get oil, the bridegroom arrived. You know what this is? The rapture. I have no doubt. It was a suddenly... While they were gone trying to get something that they, they should have already had, the Lord showed up. It was a quick thing. And then the virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. It's over. And it says later, the other ones also, they're knocking on heaven's door and say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. See, they weren't spending time with him. That's the thing. Therefore, keep watch. What is keeping watch? praying what is sleeping it's prayerlessness they're saying keep watch the lord is giving us something here he's saying it's the watchmen that'll be ready it's those that are the prayer warriors the intercessors though that those that know how to pay a price have a personal prayer life those that truly dig deep in prayer he said those are the ones that are going to be ready because you do not know the day nor the hour and I remember when God powerfully touched me, there was a man, Floyd Lahan, called me out in a meeting one time, prayed over me, and God mightily touched me. I mean, I was, I was out for a long time. It was a significant touch from God. And I remember I contacted him by phone, and I said, you know, do you have something to share with me as a younger minister? Because I was quite young when this happened in my life. And he said, well, he said, you learn some things, and you forget some things that you learn. <laughs> but he said... I'll leave you with this, learn to pray. And it was out of his personal prayer life that the oil flowed, okay? We've got to become people of prayer. God's gonna, God is knocking at the door from last night's sermon. We need to open unto him that he can come in and sup with us, but a lot of that has to do with relationship, has to do with prayer, doesn't it? Then when it's time, he'll open the door for the harvest but we have to keep prayer going because prayer is the source. I remember in the Hebridean revival, Duncan Campbell talked a lot about it, and he said that these two elderly sisters would pray, and they would hear from God about where the Holy Spirit was going to be moving, and they would begin to pray into that, and the Holy Spirit would start moving, and, they, and Duncan would go there. But they were in tune with what the Lord was doing about the harvest fields, you see. 
And finally, this is how I want to close this out, is the clash of power that we opened up with, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2.9. It's talking about the rise of the false prophet and the Antichrist, and it says this. The one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not accept the love of the truth who has to be saved. For this reason, God will send them a deluding influence so that they believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. But I want you to notice with false signs and wonders. Did you see that? And I, and I remember reading in Revelation 13, the false prophet will have so much satanic power that it says he's going to be able to call down, he's going to perform signs and wonders, but he's going to be able to even call down fire like lightning down in front of everybody. And people will believe in him because of the signs that he performs. And then I was reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says there'll be perilous times, and it lists all this, and it goes down, and it talks about Janus and Jambres, who were the, the magicians with Pharaoh. You remember that? They had the power to turn their rods into serpents. They, it was a witchcraft power. They had the power of the occult to mimic some of the plagues, even turning some blood or water into blood. Remember that? And, but yet Moses' rod ate theirs, but still it was a clash of power, wasn't it? And then I went on and I was reading this, and God bless Derek Prince because he showed me something in the scriptures. I was listening to him. I never saw. He said, evil men and imposters will grow more and more evil and they will be more and more deceived in the last day. They'll, they'll uh, be deceived and deceiving others. They'll grow more and more evil. And he said there, which you have to understand, it's in context with Janice and Jambres, the evil man and then the imposters, the word for imposters is the same word for sorcerers. I didn't know that. And so I read that differently after that was pointed out. It seems to imply that in the last days there's going to be a clash of Satan's power with God's power. And it reminds me of what Paul tried to warn us. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. We better have the power of God in our midst. Amen? And I think about in the last days, if you, if you look at the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is going to be like a Pharaoh. And the false prophet's going to be like the magicians around him, the sorcerers that were very powerful in the occult. They could replicate things. They had supernatural power with Satan. They could do things. And then while that's going on, God has his two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, that are doing what? There's plagues. There's power. Anybody that's trying to harm them, fire, they breathe fire on them. I want to see that, by the way. So if we're at the marriage supper, y'all have to pardon me because I'm going to ask Jesus to turn on the big screen, right, and tune into that so we can all see Moses and Elijah fry the people that try to mess with them. I want to see it. But there's a clash of power. And in these last days, I believe this. I really believe this is a warning. I want everybody to hear me. I believe that whether you realize it or not, there's going to be a clash where people that are adept in witchcraft and they know what they're doing are going to be targeting you and powerful churches with their witchcraft. And you're going to feel it and you're going to be like, what's going on? It's a clash of power. We're not going to overcome that in word only. We're going to overcome that by the power of the Holy Ghost in us and upon us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we're going to overcome by the power of God trumping Satan's power. And so it's interesting to me, the Antichrist like a Pharaoh. He's got his false prophet like the sorcerers. The plagues are coming down while what's happening? The people of God are exiting. They're leaving. The first is the rapture. I'm going first, okay? And then those of you that are playing games, okay, you know who you are. Y'all are going to be here leaving a little bit after me, okay? But eventually, we're all going to get there, right? Anyway, so there's going to be this exodus. And the Bible says that they overcome emphasis here by the blood of the Lamb of the word of their testimony, not loving their lives unto death because it's going to be martyrdom. 
And so those of us that are going to be caught away at the beginning, okay, there's going to be a catching away before that level. But as it goes into the tribulation time, people are going to still be leaving in Exodus, but they're going to be leaving through martyrdom. Is this making sense? We're quickly moving into these days. I believe it's upon us. I believe that we're, we're already seeing a clash of power like never before. There's thick darkness that's brooding over America, moving over. Even here in Dallas, Sergio Scataglini told me last time he was here, he said, I used to come to Dallas, and he said, I would feel more of a freedom in the spirit. He said, now, he said, when I come, it feels locked up. You know what that is? People have gotten away from revival. People have gotten away from prayer. There's a hole poked in the sky over us here. We have an open heaven here. But it's going to take a corporate group really praying and interceding to roll back the tides of darkness and really see a move of God. But I believe, just like I shared last night, God has an open door that's about to open. And when that comes, I believe God's going to begin to restore. And one of the things I'm really believing him to restore is intercessors. Powerful prayer warriors, because that's going to be the secret. You know as well as I do, Brother Ralph, that the intercessors and the prayer warriors are the real powerhouse in the church. As we come in tonight and we can enjoy the worship and we can enjoy the word and we can pray together, but what you need to remember is it's the intercessors that prayed all of that in that we're enjoying tonight. It didn't just happen. People prayed. Every revival, somebody prayed it in. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord. We need to dig deep in our own personal prayer life. Learn to come through the blood. Learn to worship and pray. Learn to press in. Even when we don't feel like it, we learn to be consistent and get our roots down as, as a men and women of prayer. And those young people, Lord, I thank you for putting in them, Lord, to be prayer warriors. Whew. So that's what I'm going to pray tonight. Well, my wife, if you would, just uh, go to maybe a screen and put on some worship. But I want us to just begin to worship and pray where you're at. And here in a little bit, Brother Ralph and I will go through and we'll pray for you guys. But I'm believing for prayer warriors. How many of you tonight will receive an anointing to become prayer warriors tonight? And when you go back home and the conference is over, you're going to remember Pastor Scott said, there's days I'm not going to feel like it, but I'm going to set my schedule that prayer is a priority in my life. I revolve my schedule around it, and I'm going to pray even the days I don't feel like it, I'm still going to be a man or a woman of prayer. Amen? That is your key right there. That's what we need. That's what you need to become everything God wants you to be. Whew.